Hello and welcome to Forward It's Earth, the nature, environment, climate change and sustainability podcast that breaks down big topics and asks, is there anything that you and I can do to save the planet? Maybe just a little bit? I'm Emma and today for an exciting episode on Antarctica, I'm joined by my good bud Ryan from Into the Wild podcast. Hello, Ryan. Hello. I'm now really nervous that every one of your listeners thinks I'm an Antarctica expert and oh. this is why I'm here. Yeah, let's let's throw the disclaimer in right at let's the Let's back top. up. Um, you're here because you're also doing inv- like environment, nature, comsy stuff and I just wanted to have someone yeah. on to have a chat about a thing. Uh, Lloyd and I very often, if not almost exclusively, talk about topics that we're not experts in. So if anything, you're very welcome <laughs> to the normal format of... I'm in my home We've ground. done some Googling. We're here to have a chat about a big topic. Uh, and can you get much bigger than Antarctica? I don't know, land mass wise, well, it's not small. Y- I mean, y- you can. Okay, fine. Yep. Off to <laughs> cracking start. It's what I learned in my research. <laughs> so, so don't um, worry. It's nice you're, to be here, by the way. You're not an Antarctic Sorry. scientist. Yes, well, thanks. Thanks very no. much for joining. Right. You have listened before. I know on at least one occasion. Actually, you've even been on the podcast before. So if we can throw listeners back to was it uh animals you you came and did a little guest star on um uh, our conversation about pets, about pet ownership it? and gave us some great advice yeah. about having dogs so if people want more from mm. you they can go back and listen to that but you do know that the format of the show is that it starts by us asking one very important question yes what one good thing have you done for the planet this week <laughs> i visited my local refill shop it's called kilo in london they have a really good user-friendly shop Basically, you go in, you have an app, you have all your containers saved on your app. They have scales and then they have their QR codes and it's all simplistic, right? This is very high tech. It is, but it also means you can just pop in, grab some stuff, get out in about three minutes. Amazing. Like if you know where you're going, it's very easy. And I went in there. Whether this is something I did is they've got a big basket full of donated jars that they wash and then take the labels off and then they write the weight on. And they had these really nice little ones. So I collected about, I think, five in the end. And I'm using them as spice jars. Cool. So I collected uh, turmeric, cumin, five spice, garam masala, and paprika. Good going. But I guess my good thing there is that I used the new thing that they had was I will take those jars and give them a new home. But then also I say to people around the world using refill stores, go and donate some jars if you're not using them. That's something I didn't know about. So I like that. That's the element I'm going to take away from that. <laughs> what is the one good thing in the last seven days you've done? Emma? Right. I So mine, I'm hoping will be mm-hmm. useful because anyone that is perhaps also aged 29 and has female friendship groups may find themselves in a similar situation to me in that it is wedding and Hindu life season. So I went to the Hindu this weekend <laughs> And such events are or can be incredibly wasteful because you're buying all of this mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to call it junk. You're buying absolute junk and like phallic shaped objects that have absolutely no purpose. And <laughs> just going to say penis straws. <laughs> penis straws. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff that comes with the idea of a girly Hindu. Yeah. And one of the other bridesmaids in my kind of group that were organizing it kind of goes, listen, we've got other Hindus coming up in the summer. So here's this box. Let's put all of the crap in this box and then we can use it at the next one. And now there's this there's this Hindu box that circulates around the group. So all the decorations, not the penis straws, but all of like the no. kind of the sashes and the like totally nonsensical glittery banners and stuff. 
are being mm. reused over and over again, which I think Brilliant. is pretty good, th- like forward thinking there. That's great. Even oh god, this is where I go proper Dell boy because now I'm thinking business idea, just sell reusable kits. That's a really interesting concept. Let's talk after the write podcast. that down. <laughs> <laughs> If I find out any one of your listeners starts this without my permission... Anyway, it'd be me. <laughs> be you. I'll do it before this Damn airs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's a really good idea, reusing stuff. Like you said, it's always like the kind of the same yeah. kind of stuff, it isn't really it? It really is. And there's no point buying all of it over and over again. So, so that's my one good thing. And maybe perhaps if anyone else is in a similar boat, that's something to consider. So, so that's good. But it's not just you and I. We're not the only ones that have done one good things. We put a shout out on our Instagram no. and our listeners have provided. You guys have been doing some really good stuff. So Ryan, I know you're mm. an experienced podcaster. I've given you some things to read out. Can you handle it? <laughs> good podcaster. I can't read. <laughs> okay, we'll do, we'll do your I'll best. I'll do it slowly. <laughs> Spell out your words. I'll get it So Lee built... Oh, no, I can't okay, read. Well, I was giving you time. <laughs> Go on then, kick us off. You're such a good friend though that you went, oh, maybe he's being serious. (laughs) I'll go first. Let me make him feel really comfortable on this podcast. First one's from Abby, who made the final swap in her cleaning refillable products journey. Good going. I still haven't. That is good. Not every single one of my cleaning products is of the refillable varieties. That's actually quite tough. Is it not? No. Most. Which, which one are you waiting for? Which ones? Do you know what? Like um, just a really good, and actually to be fair, I spoke to Abby afterwards and she's recommended something for me to try, but like a really mm. good, tough cleaner for like kind of greasy oven stuff. Yeah, that's hard. Isn't yeah. It? Unless you're going down the bicarb route. I, even that doesn't do very much on an old oven, I'll be honest. No, mm. that is hard. It is. Right, Lee... He's done something that I know you've done actually before, Ryan. He's built some raised beds from dumped wooden pallets and he started planting yeah. them with veg. Excellent well stuff, done, Lee. Lee. Yes, it's so easy to mm, do. So good. It is. If I can do it. Literally anyone can. <laughs> I think I saw chimps do it once in a documentary. Oh gosh, so we're, you know. <laughs> can Welcome you to Vegetable Gardening with Chimps. Um, Anna didn't order any fast food. Uh, I mean, I assume this means in the last week, not as in in, in whole life. But um, <laughs> no. that, I mean, you're missing that's out. Good Anna, going, that is good going. <laughs> that is good. Is there any sustainable or like good? I mean, fast I suppose foods? you could probably order from like a vegan restaurant that's local or something. Yeah. Matt put up a bat box, which I think is excellent. So I wonder, Matt, Aww. perhaps he listened to episode 75 where we talked about bats and bat boxes. Um, but I think that's really good going because bird boxes get a lot of mm. attention, but our bats need homes just yeah. as much. So crack on. Well that's done, Matt. That's a really Matt. nice one. Big fan. I like that. I've been seeing some bats recently on the Have canal. You? I'm going to go back to the canal. Yeah, walking down in Hackney, where it is at the moment, you've seen the bats of an oh, eve fly lovely. around. It's really nice. There's loads of bridges around there. It's perfect. Oh, superb. Perfect bat environment. And finally, um, an account named Carbon Block. So I don't have a person's name, but either way, I like this one. They said that they spread climate awareness through their social media. And that, I think, is a really great thing to do. Um, one of the best yeah, things you can really do good. as an individual, it has been reported, is to talk about climate with people and to kind of start to spread that ripple effect beyond your circle. Uh, so that's brilliant. So good. Also, Carbon Block sounds like a new Marvel hero <gasps> that we need. Yes. That we um, need. Do, do you think Carbon Block is the hero or are they the villain? Carbon because are they blocking the carbon or are they a block of carbon? You know, aren't we all a block of carbon? We can always change the theme of the episode and figure it out. (laughs) Antarctica becomes the new Avengers (laughs) eco edition. (laughs) Yeah. 
Right, go on. Let's let's get onto tro- onto topic, shall we? So, um, we're yes. going to be talking about Antarctica, but as mm-hmm. much as we're talking about Antarctica, we're also going to be talking about the Southern Ocean, which surrounds Antarctica. So I just thought I'd get that in straight away. We're not just limiting ourselves to the kind of icy landmass. We're talking about the whole kind of yes. Antarctic region and the processes that are involved in it. Cool. So, okay, a bad, good. A bad, good, a bad <laughs> board. Let's let, let's start with a little bit of background on um, Antarctica. As you and I said before the episode starts, if anyone's never heard of it, let's do some really basic Antarctica knowledge. What was it we said on WhatsApp? Get ready to learn the minimal yes, amount. Yes, absolutely, as non-experts. <laughs> so, Antarctica is the southernmost continent. Almost all of it is south of the Antarctic Circle. And it's a, it is a landmass covered in ice, and it's actually got it's, mm. it's over fourteen point two million square kilometers, and That's the insane. average thickness of the ice, and this blew my mind, is nearly two kilometers deep. That blew my mind when I read that because I was like, also like I can't really when I read facts it. like that. I know, but like I read facts like that, and I'm like, how do you know? Like, I know they know, Science. but I'm just like, that must have been so- <laughs> a really, really that must have long taken call. ages. Yeah, um, yeah. They used, well, they used to use um, radio um, technology, but then you can also use like satellite data these days to um, measure you depth can, of to things. You can map it, can't you? Yeah. Do you know what I do sometimes to, <laughs> sometimes to like help visualize that? Tomorrow or this evening, if you guys go for a walk, measure the length of the walk. And try and walk for two kilometres and then go, that's the thickness of the ice. <laughs> just straight down. Just go straight for that fight and go, that's how thick that ice is. Go on then, what Antarctica facts can you bring? Um, well, it's the fifth largest continent. I did a lot of learning about continents. I went down a bit of a wormhole. That's good though, that's all right. And it is about 1.5 times the size of the United States, just to put in that oh, wow. square miles into a bit of size comparison. That's a good bit of context. Um, so it's, it's big. Um it also contains the geographical South Pole as well. Um, in case so, anyone didn't know that. Oh, if you didn't know that, Antarctica is in the South, <laughs> um, Southern Hemisphere. And um, and the majority of its surface, like you said, is covered in ice. Uh, I guess with the South Pole, it's where Santa's nemesis lives as well. Oh, yeah. We assume. We assume. We've not found him yet, but it's primarily inhabited, if we're talking about humans, um, by researchers at research stations. And you get around 5,000 people in the summer months and about 1,000 people who hang out over winter. But there is also quite a lot of tourism that enters the area with about 30,000 tourists visiting every year. I was surprised by that. Were you? Not really. Did you think that was too much, too many or too few? It was more than I thought. I thought more people that I wasn't expecting 30,000 a year. How many boats is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, or, I don't know, is it only boat? You can't charter a plane. You can fly, you can fly to Antarctica, yeah. From um, (laughs) uh, the southern tips of Argentina. Yeah, but I don't know, I thought, I I don't know, I thought people that might want to explore that kind of tundra, it would be easy uh, to access the Arctic than it would the Antarctic. But I guess the difficulty might be the pool to go there. Yeah. That is true. No penguins in the north. I think tourists to antarctica are primarily interested in that wildlife and also i think there's a lot of box ticking i've been to antarctica vibes with the tourism and don't get me wrong if somebody offered me a free ticket i would absolutely go yeah of course Um, of course (laughs) but then you'd be that person in the pub did i mention i've been to antarctica you'd be like oh god here they go bringing it up again okay we need to get into actual science i think well okay should we talk about weather Yes, let's go for why Antarctica is important. Subsection, the weather. Temperature-wise, um, because I guess this is important to know if we're talking about the changes that are mm-hmm. happening. 
lowest recorded land temperature on um, Antarctica is uh, minus 89.2 degrees Celsius. Again, can't wrap my head around that. I mean, I, I always think it's funny when there's like the point two. At this point, like, what's, I mean... If you died in that, <laughs> you wouldn't be like, it's, it was a point two that It's not the point two that, that sent me over the edge. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> no. It, I didn't go there. They, I can do anything up to minus 89. But no more. Anything over. No more. No more. <laughs> But temperatures average about minus 10 to minus 30. But on the coastal regions, it can, in the summer, reach plus temperatures. And, and I think some of the records can be up to about 10 degrees Celsius. Balmy. And yeah. it is the, it's, it's, it's an ice desert, basically. Mm. It doesn't really have any precipitation, very low amount. Mm. Um, and, but it is the windiest, driest and coldest place on Earth. It's quite fun to pair the, the word desert with polar, isn't it? Because I think putting those two yeah. next to each other, although it's very accurate, it's not something that we do very often. A, a polar desert yeah. is quite a cool... Well, a desert is so associated with sand dryness. Yeah. Well, of course, dryness, but heat like... Heat dryness. That heat dryness, yeah, rather than cold dryness. Mm. But it's, yeah, very little precipitation. Now let's talk about the weather global <laughs> let's go let's go to yeah why antarctica is important so just i mean some of this as well to preface it is is that antarctica actually contains about 90 percent of the world's ice and 80 percent mm. of global fresh water the amount of fresh water that's actually available for us to consume and use yeah. is like a pitiful amount so to mm. have 80 percent of it in antarctica is kind of mad but it's the the fact that it, it's so full of ice and the way that ice interacts with both the seasons and the changing seasons with climate change, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons it's such an exciting place to be looking at climate science. So Antarctica is a really important place for climate research and modelling based on all of the systems that it is part of and even regulates, which is very cool. I know. It's, it's mad. But, but the other thing is, like, to get it into concept of how much ice there actually is there, is if it all, like, let's say tomorrow just all melted mm. and just went, the global... Water, like sea level would rise 200 foot 200 feet wow yeah just global like imagine like that you were talking a country's gone i'd be gone <laughs> my house i'd be my gone house would be i'm gone. in london mate get on the canal boat <laughs> yeah oh yeah i can't wait to see that little engine pump away You'd be, it, listen it would, it would float more than my house so <laughs> <laughs> as long as it happens However, slowly you might be all right i will say though with it being a lot of ice one thing we should say, there's a lot of rock there as well. It is a landmass. It is. Like, it is not just floating ice. Which so I think was something has... that you learnt when I came on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever we talk, we talk about Antarctica. We, le we learn so much new stuff. <laughs> we do. Um, but it's, you know, it's a landmass that has rivers. Yep. As of 1983, the coastal areas included 44% floating ice, 38% is ice walls that rest on rock, 13% ice streams or edge of glaciers and then 5% is just exposed rock. Gosh. So there's a real variation of kind of how the whole landmass is made up. So there's of. quite a few different habitats there, I think, which is quite yeah. interesting. So I think a lot of people just think ice and only ice. The, the entire iciness of Antarctica is one of the things that makes it really, really important mm -hmm. in terms of regulating our planet's climate. So there's something called the albedo effect, which is essentially where all the sun's radiation comes in through the atmosphere. And then when it hits a white surface, like the massiveness of Antarctica, a lot of it will then be bounced back up out of the atmosphere, um, which can kind of help with dealing with things like kind of the greenhouse effect. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like it should be hard to understand, but actually it's quite common sense. It is, like, and yeah, I still found that, that really hard to describe. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, we've always known that dark colours absorb heat or light and the lighter ones reflect. Mm. So it's just that common sense that we need something like that on this planet yeah, to be able totally. to reflect the radiation and the and the heat that it comes in with. So the problem therein lies with the amount of ice that is melting and ice cover that's melting and being replaced by darker coloured ocean is that what we're seeing is less of this radiation, less of this heat is being reflected back out and more of it is being retained within the Earth's atmosphere. And so we're seeing this positive feedback loop of climate change melting the ice and then things getting warmer and then even more climate change, even more melting of ice and even more warming. It's this kind of horrible, quite terrifying little mechanism. Mm. The in- an interesting thing to point out, though, is like I think with climate change as well, we I mean, because, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we used to say global warming, mm. which is still, you know, the case. But with climate change doesn't necessarily mean warming in all regions. Mm. It depends on the weather. So from I, I read on doing the research, I read on a National Geographic article this and I'm going to pretty much read this word for word, but it says NASA scientists have found that climate change has actually caused more ice to form in some parts of Antarctica. Um, this is basically something because, uh, oh, sorry, they say this is happening because of new climate patterns caused by climate change. So these patterns create a strong wind um, pattern called polar vortex. Polar vortex winds lower temperatures in the um, Antarctic and have been building in strength in the recent decades, as much as um, 15% since 1980. This effect is not seen throughout Antarctica, however, so I think it's mainly in the east, I think it said, if I remember, oh, okay. I'm that down there. But it's interesting to see like how climate change can bring new weathers into different in such a large yeah. landmass. Let's not forget this is one point five times the size of America. <laughs> so there's and America has its own climates and <laughs> own different types of weather and environments. So, but some areas are getting colder and creating more ice. Whilst, like you say, the other side of climate change can affect it in other ways where it is reducing that mm. ice. But as you say, you still end up with the same problem of not enough um, light is being or heat is being bounced mm, back. Definitely. But this ice is also really mm. important when it comes to regulating like global currents. Like, it, do you know what? I think the oh. more I've learned about Antarctica, the more it seems like it's like, you know, you have like a really quiet mate in your group chat, but actually they're the most productive <laughs> one that's just getting on with stuff like away from yeah, everything else. Yeah, they actually organise everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, without it, the group would fall apart. Yeah. But they're not like <laughs> shouting in, you know, for themselves in the group chat. This is how I feel about Antarctica as a, as a region of the world. Because... <laughs> It's one of the most productive places on earth in terms of like nutrients and food and things that are important in the food web in our ocean systems. Mm. But it also, the oceans around it. So the Southern Ocean basically sits at the basin of three other major oceans. So it connects the Atlantic, the Pacific and the Indian Ocean basins. And it has this amazing role in creating one of the biggest currents in the world that drives everything else. So this is the ACC, the Antarctic Circumpolar Current. And this is the the most important current in the world in terms of absorbing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So it absorbs more than any other ocean. Do you want a little science lesson on how this current works? Yes, please. Good, I was really worried you were going to say no. But I've written it out bullet point by bullet point. So you've got your surface waters in Antarctica, right? And as you yep. said, they freeze around in the winter and they form this sea ice. And when the sea, when the ice itself physically forms, it pushes all of the salt out of the water into the surrounding water because salt doesn't form an ice. Um, oh. Science. Well, no, I, I didn't know that. Oh, does you know like when you put... <laughs> when we think there's going to be a frost or a freeze, we chuck salt on the roads. It's because it prevents oh, freezing. We do. Come on, Ryan, think. <laughs> You've got this. Okay, so we've got ice 
And then we've got like yeah. even saltier water next to it because all of the salt's been pushed out of the water that's now in ice. Mm. So this salty water is super dense. It's much more dense than the less salty water, which forces it down to the bottom. And it's much colder. So these cold, salty waters basically shuffle to the bottom and they end up moving northwards. So bringing with them kind of this movement of water. And then in order to displace it, the warmer waters from like the more temperate regions, which are full of nutrients, get pushed back and they come towards the Southern Ocean. So that right. brings all of the amazing nutrients into this part of the world, which is why the areas off the coast of Antarctica are amazing for things like krill and phytoplankton, which are all the very bottom parts of the food web. And we'll go into their role later. But that's, so it's this, this constant churning of, um, of current and this movement, which is mostly generated, mostly caused by winds, but also this kind of saline and the heat um, displacement. What's the gradients? Gradients is the word I'm looking for. Well, yeah, I guess what I know what you mean, though, is separation push down, then move. Yeah. Yeah, like you yeah. said, it, it's really common sense when you... We're doing a lot of hand you, signals for a podcast. Do you know what? Lloyd always says that to me. He's like, you're gesturing at me, but the listener has no idea what you're doing. You would think we were doing the YMCA the way we're talking at <laughs> the moment. <laughs> Except it's the ACC edition. It's the ACC. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a rock version. <laughs> so, um, so basically, it's super important for driving things mm. like um, global humidity, uh, air temperature, wind patterns, atmospheric pressure. And the question is... The million dollar question is how is climate change and within that the components of global warming, how is that going to affect this current? Because it's the biggest and one of the most important currents and kind of uh, natural processes on the planet. So current research suggests that perhaps actually oh. as the... Re oh. Current oh. research. <gasps> Very well done. <laughs> suggests that the Southern Ocean around Antarctica is getting warmer, like pretty mm -hmm. much everywhere else on the planet if we're looking in kind of general terms. Yeah. And because of this, this current... Is getting stronger and faster, which is likely to lead to kind of more extremes in those things we just mentioned with the kind of the pressure and the humidity and the air temperature and the winds and stuff. So they don't 100% right. know what will happen from it. But when it's one of these massive regulatory processes, fast paced changes are generally not to be excited about. Well, it's almost like, it, you know, it's a, it's a system in itself that has its tipping point. Mm. So therefore, if you're pushing it at a fast rate against its tipping point we all know how those systems can go something not will happen. so good <laughs> <laughs> something will happen <laughs> it's usually harder to get it back as well ah! <laughs> so it's interesting though so what would be the impact on and you may not know this and this may be a question just to the planet but what would be the impact to the wildlife then because i guess some of these animals are they because i are these animals here all year round are like krill there all the time or do they migrate here because of the nutrients that go there. So I think, I don't know about krill migration. I know that krill are present in every ocean, but they're present in the biggest numbers in the Antarctic. Right. And that's because of, well, A, that kind of high nutrient flow, and they really like cold waters and phytoplankton as well, like cold waters. Yeah. Um, but also I read that all of the ice that forms around the Antarctic, um, a lot of algae kind of grows in that environment underneath the mm. ice and the krill feed off the ice. Oh, sorry, off the algae. Right. And so that's what brings you know megafauna like whales and seals and all yep. these things over to, so they're really important feeding grounds so i don't know whether if those nutrient cycles change and if those current cycles change whether we'd lose the impact of them as feeding grounds and that has such a massive knock-on effect because obviously things like whales they go to feed there and then they move on they literally go everywhere on the planet we don't know a huge amount about oh, their no. exact you know migrations but but some like like humpback whales 
we still don't even know how they breed, but like you'll find one in Australia and then it'll be in the Arctic and then it'll be off the coast of Canada like in a year. They they move around so much. So they're also really important yeah. in terms of nutrient cycling around the world. And I think that's where, okay, that, that might be the system that you see kind of alter them. Because there is, I mean, guess like you said, the Antarctica is a migrational route for a lot of, you know, marine animals. Um, but they do have native animals. Though. They do. Go on, talk me through. Penguins. I've got five species. Can you name them? I can't. Oh God! Uh, King em- and Emperor. Yes. Um, Gentoo. Yep. Rockhopper. Is that there? Um, I don't know. Adelie it, it, or Adel- Adelie? I don't know how you uh, pronounce it. Pe- penguins. Yeah. Um, she's. Uh, they're, they're always singing about their breakups. Um, what? Oh, Adele, Adele, Adele. That was well an Adele done. joke. Thank I you. thought, oh my God, what, what research paper didn't I read? Oh, <laughs> Hang on, there are seven penguins in Antarctica. Seven? So I got my facts wrong. What did I say? So King, Emperor, Gentoo, Adele. So we've also got Rockhopper is on there. Rockhopper's on there. Sweet. So I've got five. I've got to get two more. I worked with penguins in a zoo. This is why I know this. Okay. <laughs> the other, uh, take, take inspiration from male facial grooming for one of them. If that doesn't give it away. Are you what in the, in the name or what they just have? It's it's the chin strap penguin. The chin strap, okay. The chin strap penguin, yeah. And I, okay. I do you know what? I can't remember the seventh. I've never heard of this one before. The macaroni penguin. I did know the macaroni penguin. Is it actually pronounced macaroni? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. That's fantastic. But they I, look I, great. You know what? I forgot that penguin existed until you just said Google it there. is telling me that this penguin has the most fantastic bright yellow eyebrows. Um, yeah, they look amazing. Which is where the name comes from, I think. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, so listen, there's the seven species of penguin. Um, there's 15 species of whale and dolphin hang around in the waters. Um, you have seals as well. And I'm really sorry, listeners, I haven't got the name. Have you got the name of the seals? Oh, let me it's, Google it's, the uh, seals. It will be fur seals, won't it? Okay, there are six different species of seal in Antarctic waters. You've got the Ross, the Weddell, the Crab Eater, the Leopard, the Fur and Elephant leopard, seals. Leopard. I mean, we mm. can all just watch Happy Feet and know all this. That's a good point. We should have done our research more thoroughly. We should have done that. Cool. So, and obviously there are no trees, no shrubs, and there are only two native species of flowering plant, although I don't know what they are. Um, it's not a very hospitable environment for them. No. But also, actually, talking of um, perhaps not native, but the reason it's such an important habitat for wildlife, there are so many breeding bird colonies and seabird colonies there that use yes. it as a breeding habitat, including yeah. the albatross, which massively relies on it. And albatross only become sexually mature after like 10 years and they lay one egg every two years. So like they're so unreproductive yeah. that if we have any issues with their breeding habitat, they're, they're basically their population is on the brink of collapse. It's, it's incredible. I didn't realise how slow they were to new generation. They spend a lot of time flying as well. How like dare they? Could, they? <laughs> that did sound like a criticism. Get on and build your nest. They spend a lot of time flying. <laughs> right. 46 days. An albatross can be on the wing? It can, yeah, it can be on the wing. Wow. I mean, if they're in the southern hemisphere, it's probably very little land to land on. Yeah, that's that's true. Apart from the massive continent, but yeah, in between, I don't, I don't think there are very many like small. I don't, I, my, I don't know very much about kind of islands that are scattered around. I know there are some islands off the kind of um, yeah. Antarctic Peninsula, which is where a lot of like the research bases happen in and around the Antarctic Peninsula, because that's the kind of like the the slither of it that leans towards South America, so it's most easily accessible. We've covered a couple of the problems that climate change has uh, has led towards. Yes. Um, how about, you know, one of the... Okay, so when we think about Antarctica, a lot of the time we'll think about the whaling, 
which mm-hmm. has been one of the biggest kind of issues that's been talked about in the last kind of 100 years. Yeah. It's basically from like the 18th to the mid 20th century, we hunted blue whales, uh, both legally and illegally, um, to the point that in, um, what was it, in 1904, their numbers went had gone from over 125,000 to 3,000 in oh. 2018. So 3,000 is not very many, um, no. which basically whacked them straight into the IUCN red list, critically endangered, bish, bash, bosh. But because of the environmental regulations that have then been put on their the whaling, the whaling industry, um, and because most countries have followed it, some haven't, the British Antarctic Survey have reported seeing a lot more of them feeding in their most recent expeditions to the area. And they're hoping, or they are excited about the fact that it looks like their population numbers are recovering. And, you know, from the impacts of whaling over the last hundred years, if a population can bounce back within that mm. time frame, that's a really positive case study for looking at yeah. how if we remove our activities from an environment how much a small population back. can potentially come back from the brink of extinction so that's exciting that really is and it's the same with fur seals isn't it you mentioned fur mm. seals earlier we did the same thing yeah i mean the whole reason they're called fur seals is because we clearly only commoditize them for their fur yeah most animals names because of a reason yeah like that. <laughs> that tasty chicken yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, but I think I think with the blue whales as well, that's interesting because such a large animal has mm. a, such a slow reproductive rate. For a population to take that big of a whack, it's not always down to the numbers as well. It's not always down to oh god, there's only three thousand left. It's the speed of what they went from a hundred thousand to three mm. is a is a big panic on the population. And it's going to take them, you know, they're not all in one area. They're not grazing. <laughs> you know, they've got to fi- genuinely, they've got to find each other. They've got to be able to reproduce. They've got to be able to, you know, that that's going to have an effect on, I don't even know if they are in pods. I don't even know if we do know that they live in pods. Or you know, I don't single. know. Yeah, I don't know. No, I don't, we know so little about them, but. And, you know, when you yeah. reduce a population to that small numbers, you've got to worry about genetic diversity as well, well for exactly, the next couple, yeah. of, couple of hundred generations. And then if there's a disease. new diseases. Yeah, yeah exactly. Precisely. Oh God, we're on the same page. <gasps> oh, this is great. We're on whale facts (laughs) (laughs) but it is this is where the stuff that really is complicated it's not just about the population not all the numbers Mm. it's about what the domino effect will have from reducing at quick speed that Mm. kind of numbers but to see them coming back is is amazing in such a small time span when you consider what this what the individual species is yeah it's, it's nice to have a positive um a positive spin absolutely some of the other things that is you mentioned the thirty thousand people that visit yes. antarctica uh this could be another potential problem as let me guess people are causing problems shock horror um <laughs> <laughs> now i don't know how much tourism is needed in antarctica because when we think about tourism we talk about an economic you know benefit so we bring in something to the local economy but as we know there is no local economy there is yeah. no you know People do not live there. People reside there to do research, but they do not live there. So I would question the purpose at all, rather other than the fact you just want to go. Yeah. Now, there's two ways you can get there. I, I thought there was just the one, the boat. You said that you could charter a plane, both of which are you know have their footprint on this planet. Planes a lot more so, but boats still have disturbance and fuel pollution mm. as well. And apart from that, and it's how people are. Now, in... On any landmass that does not have 
humans naturally reside in there you're going to have an ecosystem that is not used to people being there so you're going to have a greater impact yeah because people are going to be living in certain ways so you've got things about people leaving stuff behind how they're living there how they're mm-hmm. camping are they damaging the surface are they damaging the rocks are they scaring wildlife are mm. they approaching wildlife too much how much is this regulated these are all questions that i'm not going to say we have the answers and say it's all fine i'm sure it is inform well regulated but it does come back to the point of responsible tourism yeah it's something that could have a massive impact on the biodiversity or the environment there i would put a massive question mark in the point of is that needed yeah particularly as it gets more and more accessible and Mm. you know more companies are popping up they've seen the margins that you can put on travel to antarctica exactly because everybody knows the price tag for that trip is insane so the people that Mm. want to go are willing to pay that price you know it's all about as you said not lining a local economy it's lining the pockets of corporations that exist in western nations primarily um it is yeah so there's there is a lot you're absolutely right there's a lot of care that has to be taken around Mm what people bring and what people leave. And there are quite a lot of regulations now around, um, you know, getting permits to arrive and the permits will come with stipulations as to how you have to behave. Trying not to bring invasive species is another one that yes, um, actually... Rats. Yeah, this is mad, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so this is the concept of us travelling there and bringing things that shouldn't live there but then thrive there and can completely disrupt the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. One of which seems to be, you know, throughout history, everywhere we go, we've brought rats and they've yeah. put stuff up. Um, How are we still doing that? I know. Like, we have done that since we made wooden ships. Rats are the real winners here, I yeah. think. <laughs> Rats are like, cheers, lads. We have <laughs> this gone place global. Looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is bonkers. Well, because a lot of the um, birds that result, the seabirds that reside or use Antarctica are ground nesting as well, which makes them prime targets. Yeah. Obviously, because there's no trees, they can't nest in trees. Um, mm. So they're obviously ground nesting, which makes them prime targets for rats. Um, and because yeah. rats don't have any predators there their populations can just go completely amok and the seabirds have never had to deal with ground-based predators exactly. there so they also don't know how to deal with the rats um so that that is a massive fear that one day rats will get to antarctica and really really mess some stuff up oh god i mean i'm hoping it would be too cold but i don't know i'm not surprised anymore by the resilience of uh, the rat kind to evolve <laughs> into all sorts of places to be honest it, wouldn't, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if we left a couple rats there and they just turned into like super insulated <laughs> polar rats pesky rats um something else that's pesky like that segue mm. microplastics oh we're finding God. them everywhere so obviously there's macroplastics left in the arctic from a century or two of us going and leaving stuff there and also researchers mm. not necessarily being responsible with their waste although there are a lot more protocols in place now um, mm. But the kind of the backward cleanup of things that already existed isn't complete. But microplastics as well, something that we're now understanding more of and we're now looking for basically everywhere on the planet from the top of Everest to Antarctica. We're finding microplastics, we're finding them in the waters, we're finding them in the creatures and we're finding them in the ice. So one of the things that, and it's really hard to control the outflow mm-hmm. of microplastics. So, But some of the things that researchers over there are, and tourists I suppose should be as well, are doing is ensuring that when they're washing clothes so a lot of it comes from like fleeces yes because obviously it's cold we want many layers of fleece (laughs) and most fleeces are made from polyester which just sheds microplastics so if washing them you can retrofit washing machines with filters that can try and stop as much of the microplastics as possible entering the water when you eject it Mm mm-hmm or you can wear things that aren't made of plastic. So options for like woolen or bamboo-based fleeces. Um, but it obviously doesn't... You can't you can't go and hoover up all the stuff that already exists there. 
Exactly, yeah. There's been so much already dumped. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we, we've got to stop it being more, but we can't really do a lot about what's already there. Does plastic end up there? Probably, I'd imagine, based on like the amount of ocean current movement I was going to say, there. you're just talking about the currents, there must be something or stuff that's Listen, ending up there. if nutrients get moved, my plastics absolutely must. That's, that's a very my, good point. It's my very scientific analysis of the subject. <laughs> Right, what else have you got? Have you got any other issues that you want to cram into this very long episode on Antarctica? <laughs> there are so many, there are so many. There are a lot. I, for me, no. The, the, I mean, no. But you're done. I'm done. Okay, nice. <laughs> Maybe I just wanted to add in the fun statistic that I should have put at the top. Do which it. Which was that average winter temperatures have increased by six degrees since 1960 on the Antarctic Peninsula. We are fighting to keep global temperatures, according to the Paris Agreement, below an average increase of 1.5. And Antarctica has gone up to six, up to six degrees more in a winter season. I mean, isn't that quite scary? So this is, I think this is one of the things that we forget when we talk about global temperatures, is that global temperatures aren't going to change consistently everywhere. And mm-hmm. the polar regions warm frighteningly fast compared to the temperate regions, which makes it a great place to study climate change because you get this kind of forward look and this kind of future-looking environment and, it, and you get all the data that helps strengthen models that can be used to talk mm. to climate scientists and to decision makers and policy makers and stuff. But it, it does mean that the Arctic is such... Uh, and, sorry, the Antarctic. It does mean that the Antarctic is so, so vulnerable to the kind of the melting and warming um, elements of climate change, which is utterly terrifying. It, it is terrifying. And it's, it is so, I don't know. What can people do to help? <laughs> so, yeah, go on. Let's, let's try and pull up some, some last minute positives. Right, this is one of the interesting ones. And Lloyd and I always do this. We pick really interesting topics. And then when it comes yeah. to the what can individuals do part, um, we don't always have great advice. But I think if we extend it to the royal we, what can we as a planet do to help out the Arctic? We've got a few more options. Well, well let's let's go through the issues. Okay, okay. And then think of things we could do with those issues. So, climate change. What can we do? Because climate change is affecting yep. Antarctica. What can we do with climate change? You Nothing. can. I'm kidding. <laughs> cry at night. <laughs> Reduce global carbon emissions. No. Sequester carbon. Exactly. Change our energy supplier if that's yes. possible at the moment. I don't know. Energy's a bit weird, but still investigate it. Change your banks. Check where your money's yep. going. Um, vote. Lobby your MPs. Better. Mm. Speak to your decision makers. <laughs> yeah, email your MPs. Yeah. Do some exactly. shouting. And talk Things to people like about it. Talk to people in and outside of your circles so that climate becomes a wider part of the global conversation and more people start chatting about reducing emissions. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, a very broad scope one. Yep, broad, but it's, yeah. Um, So let's then talk about uh, physical impacts by visiting it. Don't go, unless you're offered a free trip. There we go, done. Right. (laughs) Yes, unless you get a... Hint, hint, wink, wink. And when I get my free trip from the British Antarctic Survey, I will opt for clothing that doesn't shed microplastics. And I want I'll you head to flight. toe in bamboo. Fine. Uh, can I have some kind of waterproof layer as well? Nope. <laughs> so synthetic. <laughs> synthetic. Okay. Cool. Um, there is there was a there was a protocol that was put in place in 1988 though, which does restrict visitors and it ensures that you know permits have to be held by all visitors 
from the Antarctic oh, wow. Treaty okay, Okay, so there good. are there are systems in place. So that's not something that you and I can do, but it's something that has been done, which does restrict visitors and tries to hold them to a certain code of conduct, which is good. Plastics, assuming that plastics are reaching there without visiting it. Uh, stop using plastics. Dispose of them properly in terms of recycling and reducing. If you do use plastics, do beach cleans. Help things stop getting up in yeah. the up in the oceans in the first place because eventually they're kind of tracking in that direction. Again, that's a, that's a tough one to feel as though you're having an impact on the Antarctic, but yeah. you potentially are. Yeah, it's a global problem, so therefore that would include the Antarctic. Well, how about overfishing and things? So this is one I've got. Oh, oh you can support organisations who are working to create more MPAs, more marine protected areas, because yes. that can help preserve both, like you know, the breeding and the feeding grounds of species like the whales and the penguins and the seabirds but also the Antarctic krill, um, which mm-hmm. is vital that we... So Antarctic krill has reduced massively in numbers in the last couple of decades, and scientists are a bit worried mm-hmm. about that, but they think it's probably more likely because of climate change. But there is an increase in fishing pressure from for Antarctic krill because we're using it for like omega-3 and also to feed fish farms. And fish farms are a whole other discussion. We can talk about that another time. Yeah. But um, yeah. that's, that's another thing, um, trying to support organizations if you can i mean again that's kind of hard for the individual to do but we the royal I we will say, creating more yes. marine protection and more kind of regulation of what activities can and can't occur in that important space is really important for the kind of future legacy of the antarctic and i will say as well for people that are listening that might not be on a plant-based diet and that you know, some people out there uh, with medical reasons or um, just lifestyle reasons need to eat fish protein. Um, the Marine Stewardship Council, mm. the way they audit their fisheries is one of the, it may not be perfect, but it is the probably best way you can ensure your fish is sustainably caught. Mm. It genuinely yeah. is. Unless you're going down to your, unless you live in Cornwall. <laughs> you know the guy going out there jim jim on his um, boat yeah exactly unless you are doing it yourself or you yeah you know the guy it's um looking for the msc mm. um logo on fish is or from the fishmongers or supermarket is genuinely the best way you can be secure that that is sustainable fish. top advice top advice um finally one of the things i did find that was quite interesting was that we mentioned that antarctica is like the windiest place on the earth Mm. So, in order to reduce... <gasps> what do you think we're going to put up oh, wind no, I farms? Just... <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely thought you were. Well, on a smaller scale, um, the research centres that are being either put up or improved are starting to use wind technology in order to fuel them. But the problem is, it's almost too oh. windy. So, <laughs> so sometimes they are actually really susceptible to damage, but... They're working on a lot of really cool technology to try and make sure that um, all of the research down there is fueled by renewables. Amazing. And just one final point. To, I said final for the last one, but I do want to just use a little, <laughs> little quote. Well, I thought, final. you know, perhaps a little bit of optimism could be ended. Yes. So a, a, an actual expert, obviously not two of us. So Professor Rob DeConto from the University of Massachusetts, Alma, Almhurst, I don't know, Amherst, has said that we can still do a lot for the melting ice in Antarctica, but we also need to do better than the Paris Agreement already states to do so. So I think you can take despair or hope from that. I agree. There is there is the positive. We can still, there is time. It's not irreversible. We just need to... There really will get always be 
hope and things that can be done. Mm. And there will always be more that we can do. That's very true. Yeah. That's a very good fence-sitting so yeah. statement then. Yes. Ryan, thank you so much for talking to me about Antarctica, something that neither of us knew anything about. Thank you. Thank you to to you and your listeners uh, for having me on the show. It's been well, lovely. You're so welcome. So I did promise you a slot. Um, tell everybody about Into the Wild. It's a it's a wonderful podcast. We're we're fellow independent oh. nature podcasts. We we like to support yes. each other. You very kindly had me on, and I had a great time having a chat with you. Give us the give us the pitch. Tell the listeners, and then tell them where they can find you as well. So Into the Wild is a weekly nature, wildlife um, and conservation focused podcast where we pretty much chat about if it happens on this planet and it has an impact on the natural world, we talk about it. So it could be an individual animal species we're talking about. It could be to do with farming in the UK. It could be about farming in Africa. It could be about climate change. It could be anything to do. It could be plastics. It could be yeah, absolutely anything. Mm. Um, so I have a guest on with me each time. Um, we also do a side series called Into the Foliage, which focuses on the green side of nature, which as well as talking about um, botany, um, we also talk about gardening quite Yay. a lot. So bringing it closer to Love home, that. about growing veg and um, how to garden for uh, the planet um, and stuff. And then we also do some silly episodes. Um, we There's a re- reoccurring one called Nature Room 101 where we pick our things that we don't actually like about nature and we put it into Room 101 Love forever. Which I should get you I should get you on that one. Oh, I'd be do you want to come on yeah, that one? Totally. So yeah, we'll get you on. But um, So that's basically what we do. And... Uh, we are actually in the making the post-production of our big project where we went to Africa to film a show talking to local communities um, about hunting and in uh, what it means to them as a culture and how it plays a part in their economy and their wildlife management. So that's going to come out later on in the year as well, which will be a YouTube show. And you can find us on all major platforms for podcasts. Just search Into the Wild Podcast and it will come up. And then we're on social media, Into the Wild Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, sorry, and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And then if you'd like to follow me, Mr. Ryan J. Dalton on everything. I'll drop. I'll put some links in the episode description as well to make it that easier. That would be That was a lot of things. Thank you. That was. <laughs> oh, it's, that was a lot well, of things. Well, prepare for more listeners if you'd like more from For What It's Earth. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go through all the handles, but um, you can just search for For What It's Earth podcast on all our social media and you should be able to find us. Um, drop us an email at forwardsfpod at gmail.com let us know what your one good thing for the week is I genuinely really like reading those um, or if you've got any ideas for topics they're always fascinating to find out what you want to hear about go and leave us a nice little five star review because that would honestly make yes, my day yes do that that helps podcasts so especially much especially little guys like you and I who are just you know yeah just trying our best they mean so much <laughs> don't they whenever I get a nice review in yeah I honestly it, that will pick me up for a yeah, few days yeah the bad ones break week. my heart but there we go oh, they drop me for a month <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah they, they really they really do go a long way so um, for fear of sounding very kind of plea and self-promoting um, do it if you're listening on. now pause give it a, go give on, it a if review. you're on Spotify or iTunes do it now and then come back and listen to the last nine seconds <laughs> And with that, just a quick disclaimer to remember that uh, Ryan and I aren't experts and all of our views are our own. So uh, if you've got a problem with anything we've said, come and have a shout at us and not anyone that we work for or are affiliated with. And on that, have a great week and we'll see you very soon. Have a good one. Take care.